out of the book of Esther for these moments. Tonight's, tonight's message and then the, the thoughts of the message, the application, will bear some similarity to things that we've discussed in the life of Joseph. And don't, don't let the repetitiveness cause you to be bored and don't let it cause you to check out. These are two separate s- stories that are recorded for us in the Word of God and they, de- they both deserve our attention. And they're both appropriate and suitable for times like this that we are going through. But the truth won't just be helpful now. There are other things that God alone knows that you're going to experience. And lessons and truths from examples in Scripture like this can be a great help to you in days ahead. And so please make sure that you're doing your best to listen. So this will be our third message from the book of Esther. Esther chapter 2, verse number 1. After these things, when the wrath of a king Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Let there be fair young virgins sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins, virgins unto Shushan the palace, to the house of the women, unto the custody of Hegi the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let their things for purification be given them, and let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Vashti, and the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Now in Shushan the palace there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he, referring to Mordecai, brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. And the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So it came to pass, when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women, And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her things for her purification with such things as belonged to her, and seven maidens which were meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. Skip down with me, please, to verse number 12. Now when every maid's turn was come to go in to King Ahasuerus, After that she had been twelve months according to the manner of the women, for so were the days of their purifications accomplished, to wit six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with sweet odors, and with other things for the purifying of the women. Then thus came every maiden unto the king, whatsoever she desired was given her to go with her out of the house of the women unto the king's house. In the evening she went 
And on the morrow, she returned into the second house of the women to the custody of Shashgaz, the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubines. She came in unto the king no more, except the king delighted in her, and that she were called by name. Several years ago, there was a movement in secular Christianity around the story of Esther, and specifically chapter 2. A movie was made about it, a devotional was made about it, and they really promoted and profited off of the idea of that movement. And at the heart of it was they, they turned the story of Esther and her interaction with this king into a romance, into some kind of romantic development to where they developed these great intense feelings for each other, and it just, their romance bloomed and blossomed and and flourished into this amazing picture of marriage. But when you actually read chapter 2 and understand the customs of the day and what was happening, this was far from that depiction. This was a very challenging and difficult time, not just for Esther, but for every young woman that was involved in this. So the thought tonight is this, and it will, by the grace of God, develop it as we go on. But the thought is this, self-centered power. Self-centered power. It's not very encouraging, but what we see displayed here can be, can be encouraging in the face of some very self-centered power. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the message. Father, thanks for the time, and I pray that you would please use it and use the Word of God to be a help to your people. Father, thank you for examples of people like Mordecai and Esther, who through some very challenging moments were able by faith to overcome their own apprehension and the selfishness of kings. And by your grace, God, you worked to accomplish your purpose in them and through them. And so, Father, would you take the truth tonight and and use it to encourage people in their day, in these moments. And Father, I was already concerned about this in the preparation for this message. I pray again that you'd help me uh, to be uh, to have discretion and to make sure to be true to the text, but be appropriate as well, and that there wouldn't be anything distracting about this, but just help people to appreciate what was actually going on here and the difficulty of it. So, Father, thanks for the time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. We've preached... This will be the third message. We've preached two messages already detailing the nature of the king under which Esther found herself living and Mordecai found himself living. And the point is so that we might really appreciate the significance of how God worked in Mordecai and Esther, how God worked through Mordecai and Esther And to really appreciate the difficulty through which they were trusting God and continuing to submit to God and to allow Him to accomplish His work in their lives. And uh, I don't 
I don't want you to get bored with the development of King Ahasuerus, but we're going to spend one more message tonight really trying to capture, as we did in chapter 1 into the very beginning of chapter 2, the nature of this man, the nature, the mindset of specifically men in that day, and the environment under which Esther found herself. So as you remember, Ahasuerus was coming off in chapter 1, a riotous party that was for the purpose of self-adoration and building up credibility with those who ruled under him. Remember the reference, the historical reference, how that he was preparing for a campaign that ultimately, a military campaign that would ultimately be a colossal failure. And so he's trying to make sure that he has the hearts and the unity of the people, and he doesn't want to have to deal with any internal rebellion. And so during this uh, time of self-adoration, he calls in chapter 1 for Queen Vashti to, to show off her beauty. This was not a demonstration of his gratitude for the wife that he was blessed to have. It was rather showing off the privilege that he enjoyed because he was king. He wasn't calling Vashti out so that he could laud her and adore her. He was calling her out for his own vain self-adulation and adoration. Well, she refuses, and uh, there's a big brouhaha um, from the royal servants and ministers and counselors, and they say, listen, if you don't deal with her rebellion, then all of the women in the land are going to rebel against their husbands. And so they demote Queen Vashti. But then you get into chapter 2 and what we dealt with a couple of Sundays ago that eventually the wrath of the king abated. And what had made him so angry was no longer making him angry. And he began to think about how he benefited from having Vashti as his wife. And yet the law of the Medes and Persians could not be changed. And so there was no going back. And so he acted in anger in removing her from the throne, and now he's feeling that pain. Well, his subjects, in verse number 2 down through verse number 4, they recognize that the king is getting very frustrated, and so they need to conjure up some kind of plan to help him feel better about life. Now, this isn't the message, but it's still good for our consideration, when you are feeling guilty, or a biblical word would be, the idea is biblical, when you are feeling convicted of sin or of things being out of order in your life, the last thing you need is a distraction to help you feel better. What would be better for you is to make it right with God and to make it right with the people whom you've hurt. Well, obviously, that's not on their brain, and they're only driven by fleshly desires, and so they come up with this plan. And I don't, the Bible recording this is not evidence that God endorses it. He's simply chronicling the circumstances through which he accomplished his work in the lives of people. So this is what they say. We're going to round up a bunch of young girls for you to find a new wife from. Now here are the qualifications that are given in Scripture. They had to be fair. First of all, that's a biblical word used to describe physical beauty. They, they must be physically attractive. Number two, 
they had to be young. And there was, I don't know what it was, but there was obviously a reference to some kind of maximum age that these young girls could not exceed. And number three, they had to be virgins. And it's not so much concerned with moral purity before God as much as it is the protection of the king and him not sharing with anyone. Now, it was customary for kings of the East in ancient times to have multiple wives or concubines or what are called harems. In fact, I recently read a story about uh, the king of Thailand, the current king of Thailand, who has at least 20 concubines. Now, these women today and then existed only for the pleasure of the king. This was not... This was not God's design. Remember what Jesus said in Genesis, or what Jesus referenced in Genesis, how that from the beginning it was not so in dealing with different issues of marriage. But the point is that a man would leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they be one flesh. God's design for marriage is that it be a man and a woman for as long as their life lasts, But obviously it doesn't go that way, and so God allows this to happen. He allows free will. So at the end of verse number four, Ahasuerus is pleased by this. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. So notice what what is chronicled in our text. In verse number nine, we see that there's a house that is built for the women. The house where they would stay, and it again, ancient times, it would be customary in the east for women to have their own house separate from the man. In verse number nine, there were things that were given them for their purification. You read in verse number 12 that they had 12 months to prepare themselves physically, they had 12 months with the oil of myrrh and six months with sweet odors to make sure that they were as physically attractive and appealing as possible. And that would culminate, that would result in verse number 13 and 14 to where they would go in one by one. They would each have one night that they would spend with the king. And then after that, they would be taken out of the house of the virgins and placed into the house of the concubines. And out of that self-centered display, The king would choose a queen this way. The one that pleases me the most is the one who I will make as queen. The rest of the women would stay on the premises as concubines for his pleasure. And it's almost as though he's trying, like going to a store and trying on a sweater. No value placed on these young women as people. Simply viewed as a thing by which I am pleased. Now it's under this rule, and it's under this command, that we are introduced to Mordecai and to Esther. In verse number 7, we find out that Esther was an orphan. We don't know how, but her mother and father had died. She was raised by her cousin Mordecai, who took her, and he was some years older than her, And he took her for his own, raised her as her own. 
It, it, the point isn't that there was an official adoption, just that he stepped up and he chose to love her and to care for her and to raise her in the right way. And we'll deal with that in coming messages, the Lord willing. Mordecai was in Shushan because he was a part of those who were taken away from Jerusalem during the, cap, the time of captivity being brought out of Jerusalem. And it's in this environment of a self-centered king that Esther is taken into the custody of this king. Look at the end of verse number 8. That Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. Esther and these other young women are being taken from their homes and forced into a relationship and experience that was not of their choosing, but from which and out of which they had no recourse. Please understand this. According to the customs of that time and according to the way the text articulates this story, this was not optional. Verse number 8 refers to it as, so it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree the same authority and the same law by which he demoted the queen. The same authority and the same law that was said could not be altered. The law of the Medes and the Persians. That same level of authority and power was put behind this command that every young woman who fit these certain criteria according to the representatives of the king, those young women were to be gathered into the king's houses for the women. Verse number 8, and when many maidens were gathered together. Again, it's not that the Bible is endorsing it as much as it is simply relating the details of it in the way that it's described here that they're literally just being gathered. No, you meet the criteria, you have to come. And you meet the criteria, you have to come. You meet the criteria, you have to come treating them in many ways just as objects. Look at verse at the end of verse number 8. Esther and others, two different ones, would have been delivered to the custody of. They have no control over this situation. They are property that is being possessed for the purpose of a self-centered king's gratification. I want you to notice what's not here. Parental parental approval was not necessary. Oh, you want to be careful about this, but sometimes it's good to imagine yourself in these situations. And uh, I have three daughters whom I love very much. And uh, I can't wrap my mind around what it would be like to know that I was powerless And maybe even in some cases to have so little view of women that you would allow or be powerless and had to watch as your daughters were taken away. And based on the customs of the day, there was a very good chance you would never see them again. You would never know what became of them. But the king or those who did his bidding, they didn't go into homes asking for parental approval. They simply took what they desired. Consent from the young women was not necessary. In fact, it didn't matter. 
in, in many cases, you've seen this played out in Scripture, that women were not held in the same regard that God created them to be held in throughout Scripture. Again, not in an endorsement by God or by His Word, simply a record of how things were. And these men did not come and say, hey, here's a marriage opportunity, a royal opportunity, if you will, to be in a marriage, loosely defined marriage relationship with the king. And would this be something you're interested in? No, you weren't given the option. You were gathered. You were forced. And whether or not you wanted it, and with tears and glancing over your shoulder, trying to get one last look at your parents as you followed these soldiers back to the palace, you had no choice in the matter. And the king could do as he wished with whomever he wished. Spend 12 months in preparation, and then one night, and if he likes you, great. If he doesn't like you, then you're going to go into the concubine's house. It doesn't matter your plans. It doesn't matter your dreams. It doesn't matter your desires. Resistance is pointless. You die. This was the attitude towards those women. You exist for me. Self-centered power. Here's what's amazing to me. It's not new. It's not new to you when I make the statement. It's not going to surprise you. But this is amazing to me. That God allowed the use of this kind of self-centered power. God allowed a self-centered king to have control over the lives of many people including his own people, God's own people. Now, the point tonight isn't to try to answer the question that might come to many minds, and that is, why would God allow that? You know, there are certain whys that we can't answer in this life. And it's okay that we can't answer them. But there are still some truths that can help us when we deal with this reality that in a, with a self-centered king having this kind of power only concerned with his own gratification that God allowed him to have that power, there's some things that can be a help to us. Here's thought number one. Don't be an Ahasuerus. Now, I can hear people saying right now, well... Obviously, I've never done anything like that. Well, you may never have done anything like that. But it doesn't mean you don't resemble the same spirit in the way that you live your life. What was the spirit of this king? It's all about me. It's all about me having what I want. And everyone else that exists around me exists for my pleasure. Exists for my gratification. Exists for the fulfillment of my desires. Whether it's my spouse or my children, my parents, my pastor, my church family, my boss, my employees. I'm going to get what I want, when I want, 
whatever it is that pleases me. And this is how you identify that spirit. How you respond when things don't go your way. How you respond when people don't do everything that you want them to do. How you respond when a leadership makes a decision that you don't completely agree with. Or how you respond when your spouse has a little bit of a different opinion than you do. Or how you respond when you're helping to grow and nurture and develop your children. Or how you respond within the life of a church family when many different personalities are all trying to pull in the same direction and everything doesn't go exactly the way that you want it to go. No, I'm not talking literally that it don't have marriages like this. Obviously, we're, we're way past that. That's not what we're talking about. But you don't have to be guilty of this very same thing to be guilty of the spirit that was in this king And as the children of God, we must constantly be on guard that we don't develop this attitude that it's all about me and everyone else exists for my own personal gratification. And if it's not done according to what I want, then I'm going to be displeased and everyone is going to know about it. Don't be in a hazardist. Number two, and this is hard, and I'm bringing my voice down intentionally here, you need to accept, accept that God allows self-centered people to have power in our lives sometimes. It shouldn't happen, but it does can happen at work with a boss or a manipulative employee. It can happen at school with a teacher or a coach or with having to deal with the parent of a student who knows somebody who knows somebody. It can happen in government. Man, right now I'm wanting to start mentioning names and states But I hope you are thinking enough to know that not every leader making decisions during this pandemic is making them for the welfare of the people, rather using them. And they've even stated this, using this time to advance their own godless agenda and to force their will on people and to treat people as though they are little children and have no ability to take care of themselves. That's not the kind of government this nation was founded to be. I need to move on from this point. It can happen in churches. It can happen with pastors. It can happen with other people in a church that might have influence. It can happen among a church staff that God allows self-centered people to have power It can happen in homes, in marriages, with parents, with a husband or a wife. I've been privileged to perform many weddings and I'm I'm thankful for those opportunities and thankful for the evidence of God working in people's hearts. But... And not of any that I know that 
I've done, but you know that a person can make a vow and then through time become something different down the road. And you can ask this question, why is God allowing this? And we have to remember that while God doesn't cause those things, God gives us free will, including those who reject Him and would do hurt, and He allows it. You see, life isn't always about our happiness. It's not always about our dreams. And it's not always about what's fair. God allowed this in Esther and Mordecai's life and in the lives of these other young women. And he also still allowed the subsequent expectation of Esther and Mordecai's cooperation. Nowhere in the text are they given license or freedom to rebel against that commandment. I don't have all the answers as to why. Here's what I know. They submitted and God used their submissions. We must accept that at times, God allows self-centered people to have power. But number three, God still has power to work. His name isn't mentioned. But the evidence of his work is throughout this book. We're not dealing with it tonight, but let me just give you a little bit of a taste of this. God used the bringing of his people into captivity to put his people in position so that they could become a part of the royal network to later deliver his people. No, that's the work of an almighty God. God still has power to work. And just because he allows, please get this, just because he allows self-centered people to have some power, he does not allow them to have ultimate power. It's like Jesus said, don't fear him which is able to kill the body or destroy the body, but fear him which is able to destroy both the body and soul in hell. Understand that no matter how much power all the little tyrants of this world think they have, there is always one who has more power. There is only one with ultimate power. There is only one who is omnipotent. And we find little tyrants in, in political places. We find little tyrants in places of so-called expertise. We find little tyrants in schools and at jobs and in homes. But no one has ultimate power over God. Please get this statement. God does not relinquish His power just because He allows self-centered people to have some power. He still maintains ultimate power. Now, a question that some would ask is this. If God has that level of power, why not keep her from this? I can't answer that question. And I don't believe that we are meant to answer that question. I believe that we are to have confidence in what we're taught in many places. But in Romans 8, you know this. For God is able to work all things together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. The hope is that even when self-centered people have power, God can still work. And let me encourage you, God does still work.
Here's the statement, and then I want to give you an illustration, and then we'll be done. God's power to work is sometimes manifested not by keeping us from difficulties, but by working through the oppressive power of self-centered people around us. I know that's a lot. Let me give it to you again. God's power to work is often manifested not by keeping us from difficulties, but by working through the self-centered power of those around us by the way that he allows them to have. During the Holocaust, Adolf Hitler and that terrible regime were responsible for the deaths of just those killed in the actual extermination processes of over 11 million people, I believe. One family who gained notoriety through that was the Ten Boom family. And one individual in particular was Corey Ten Boom, one of the daughters. The Ten Boom family were Dutch Christians who helped many Jews escape, escape the Nazi Holocaust of World War II. But they were betrayed after a local informant tipped off the Nazis of their activities. Their home was raided, and the entire family was imprisoned. Not exactly the same, but very similar to those in power coming into your home and taking whom they will. Corey and her sister were sent to a notorious concentration camp. You can find out the details of that. It's, it's terrifying. It's heart-wrenching. It's harrowing. Corey was miraculously re- released from prison just days after her sister had died there. And through her life, God brought incredible beauty and healing through her experiences. Corey Ten Boom made this statement, one of the many quotes that she famously penned during her life. Corey said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. I can't answer why God allows the things that he does. I don't know why God allows evil men like Hitler to cause so much devastation and heartache for generations. I don't have the answer as to why God allows a king like we're reading about to round up young women as though they were nothing more than cattle for his own pleasure and dispose of them as he will. But I believe, like Corey Ten Boom experienced, that when the train goes through darkness in your life, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. You know what's been good about this? One of the things that's been good about this coronavirus, 
the subsequent lockdowns that have happened to varying degrees, is there's been an opportunity for God's people to sit still and to take stock. Do I really trust you? Am I trusting you? And maybe even in your life tonight, there are circumstances from the distant past or maybe the recent past or you can see them coming like a storm. You can see the darkness of that tunnel approaching. You say, God, I don't know why you would allow this, but this is what you have to trust. That God's power to work isn't, isn't always manifest, is manifested, not always by keeping us from difficulties, but by working through those difficulties. So tonight, maybe it'd be a good time to say, God, I need to stop fighting to have control. And I need to trust that you are in control. And that'll be manifested in your obedience to him and in the spirit with which you live your life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. I wonder tonight if there would be some of God's children who would say, Pastor, I, I find myself currently or at times in these places of darkness. And I don't know why God would allow this. I don't, I don't know why God would allow a king like this king to have power in the lives of his people. And I don't know why God would allow this in my life. I don't know why God would allow this evil to have some influence or power. I don't, I don't understand that. And tonight, the, the point is nothing more. Don't, don't infer something that I did not state. The, the point is really nothing more than this. That God's purpose in our lives isn't always to deliver us from the difficulty, but it's to work through it. It's not always to deliver us from the power of it but it's to work through it and in spite of it. So like Corey Ten Boom learned, like Esther learned, when the tunnel of life is getting dark and you are uncertain and it's hard and it's fearful, God is still working. You have to sit still, you have to trust. You have to believe that he'll work out good through it. So maybe tonight you need to spend some time asking God, Maybe you want to pray for our church. God, help us to trust you through this time. You want to pray for yourself. God, help me to trust you through this situation at work or in my home or with these other circumstances. God, help me to trust that you are still working in spite of what you're allowing. You are working through it. Father, thanks for the time. Please help us to be responsive to you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, piano plays and brother Nate sings you have an opportunity to respond to the Lord